0: Matthew's Gospel and chapter 20. One of our habits, our practices, I suppose, uh, here at Christ Church is to try and preach through books of the Bible. Uh, Just passage by passage by passage so that God sets the agenda. It's not me choosing what to speak on week by week, uh, but we let God's word set the pattern. We've been working through Matthew's Gospel and this morning we're going to read verse 1 to 16 of Matthew 20. Uh, it's Jesus speaking, children, he's teaching uh, and telling a parable. So, first 1 of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, "'These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, "'who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat.' But he replied to one of them, "'Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. "'Did you not agree with me for a denarius? "'Take what belongs to you and go. "'I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you.' Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. If you've been at one of those uh, joint meals, perhaps for a a birthday, uh, someone's retirement due at work, uh, an engagement party, uh, where you head to a restaurant that is just a bit more expensive than you'd really feel comfortable in. But you kind of go because, hey, it's a group do. You've got to be part of the group. And the, you know, the waitress comes around and says, anyone having any starters? And, and you say, no, no. Okay, you're going to hold back a little bit. And the person next to you says, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, I'll have the prawns, thank you. And bring me a side, too. The waiter then takes drinks orders. and Just a tap of water for me, please. And your friend says, I'll have a glass of red wine. Large, Thanks. Uh, on it goes. Uh, you have the salad. She has the lobster. Uh, you hold back on pudding. She has the profiteroles with a, a side of cheesecake. A little aperitif afterwards. And of course then the bill comes round. And you know what's going to happen. Someone is going to say, let's just split it between the five of us, shall we? And you're not happy, are you? Okay, I reckon most of us have been in that scenario. Okay, unless you're the kind of person who you know, does the overordering and then charging it to the others. What are you thinking? You're thinking, it is not fair. I've eaten my way through one mangy little salad while you ate lobster and steak and drank wine and I'm now paying 50 quid when I should have been playing a tenner. It is not fair. Children, I want want you to imagine children, you go to the park with granny and grandpa. Okay, off you go to the park with granny and grandpa and you get to the ice cream van. Okay, and granny gives you an ice cream. Get a lovely ice cream. And then she gives your brother an ice cream. And she gives him a chocolate bar as well. How do you feel? See, I think you probably feel a bit grumpy, don't you? You think that's not fair. When Granny just gave you an ice cream, you might have been happy. But as soon as you saw your brother got an ice cream and a Mars bar, well, it's not fair. Now, they might sound silly little examples. But but actually, they tap in, I think, they they tap in to something that we we all walk with. If we're honest, a lot of the time in life, we look around and think, it is not fair. Life is not fair. I am not being treated as I deserve. Uh, For some of us, that bubbles up in anger. Someone gets promoted at work and we're left behind and we are angry about it. For others, it's kind of resentment. We're too too polite to ever get angry outwardly, but but inwardly we we burn. Uh, For others, it turns into kind of self-pity. Oh, I'm so pleased that Sandra's got engaged all the time, just absolutely gutted uh, that we're not And again, small as some of those examples may seem, they tap into something that Jesus is getting at in this parable. It's a sort of infection, if you like, uh, that afflicts us all. In one sense, it's a pretty straightforward parable. It's a surprising parable, but a fairly straightforward one. Uh, It's a world of day labor. Okay, so back in Jesus' day, uh, for many people, they work day-to-day, okay? not on a contract, not on a kind of long-term job. But you go out to the marketplace in the morning and hope a rich landowner will take you on. Uh, so early in the morning, at uh, the start of the day, presumably six o'clock, the Jewish day started at six and went through to, to six at night. Uh, at six o'clock, down the master goes uh, to hire some men and he, he takes them on. And you see, he, he agrees with them what they're going to get paid, verse 2. He agreed with the labourers for a denarius a day. A denarius is a good wage for, for a day. Okay, perfectly reasonable, probably pretty generous. And they're, they're totally happy. Okay, I mean, for the sake of argument, let's say 100 quid a day. 100 quid they get given. But in the third hour, verse 3, so three hours later, uh, he goes back. But now it'll be nine o'clock. And he takes some more labourers on. And you see, this time, he doesn't tell them what he's going to pay them. He just sees them idle in the marketplace, verse 4. And he simply says, right, you go and work, and I'll pay you whatever's right. And again, they're happy. Off they go. Three hours later, the sixth hour, so we midday now, verse 5. He goes back, does the same thing. And then the ninth hour, so it's three o'clock in the afternoon, he goes back again and again doesn't tell them what they're going to get paid just sends them off to work and amazingly he even goes back again do you see verse six the 11th hour okay so it's now five o'clock in the afternoon the day is going to finish at six at five o'clock he goes down to the marketplace and says to these guys why are you not working and they say again verse seven oh, no one's hired us And so, even at that eleventh hour—that's what we get the expression from—even at the eleventh hour, he brings them in and sends them to work in the vineyard. Well, so far so good until it comes to payday or pay hour. At six o'clock, work ends. And he gets his foreman to line all the workers up, and instead of starting with the guys who, who, who began at 6 a.m., he starts by paying the guys who started at, well, probably half five by the time they got back from the marketplace. And he gives them, what does he give them? He gives them a denarius. He gives them £100, half an hour's work maybe, and here's 100 quid. And the foreman works down the line. And you can imagine what the guys who started at 6 a.m. are thinking, can't you? I and mean, what would you be thinking? Okay, you were promised £100 if you started work at 6 o'clock in the morning. You've done 12 hours work. You've just seen the guy who's done half an hour get £100. If you're doing your maths, you're thinking, I'm about to get £1,200. Quid. Okay, this is going to be amazing. Unless you've been paying attention. Because actually, as the man walks down the line, everybody gets the one denarius. Everybody gets 100 pounds. And when it gets to the guys who've worked all day in the scorching heat, what do they get? Well, the same. Uh, one denarius, 100 pounds. And they are not happy. What on earth is going on? What a strange story. A is meant to be about what the kingdom of heaven is like, verse one. This is what life is like under God's rule. If you want want to have God as your king, this is what it's going to be like, says Jesus. So so what's he telling us? Well, he's telling us, I think, two realities and then two ways to look at the world. Two realities and two ways to look at the world. The two realities are to do with us and God. Let's start with God. The first thing Jesus is telling us is, is the reality is God is generous. God is incredibly generous. What sort of landlord, what sort of boss pays a whole day's salary for someone doing half an hour's work? Well, only one who is generous. He even describes himself that way in verse 15. Do you begrudge my generosity? Who are these folk? Who are these folk who turn up at the 11th hour? These ones who are still in the marketplace right at the end of the day. People have had all sorts of guesses down the years. Quite likely, I think, because Jesus is teaching a Jewish audience, he's teaching them about the coming in of the Gentiles, so the non-Jewish people. God's people all the way through the Old Testament uh, had been predominantly Israelites, Jews. Uh, And and the whole kingdom was about to be opened up to to Gentiles too. And they were the, well, the newcomers, the late arrivals. So very likely Jesus is preparing his disciples that the the kingdom is going to go international. But really, I think you can go beyond that. Uh, Really, what we're being shown is that God is generous... And willing to welcome anyone into his kingdom, however late they come. Perhaps for you, it's late in life. Uh, you've always slightly looked down on on Christians. You, you've never bothered with it. It's all seemed a bit silly. But actually, you know death is approaching. You're not as young as you once were. Whether it's a diagnosis or just the ticking clock of time, and you've wondered to yourself, well, well maybe it's too late. But it's never too late. Uh, Even this morning, Jesus says to you, look, you you can come. You can come and I will receive you. I am generous because you don't need to bring anything. These labourers don't bring anything, do they? They just come and then they receive. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will have you. Even if it is the 11th hour, Uh, the gospel message, the good news of Christianity, It's not a message about something we do, but about something God has done for us. In sending Jesus into the world to to die, God opened up the gates of eternal life so that it can be given freely. Our sin on Jesus' shoulders. Let's see how these people are described, verse 6. They're those who stand around idle all day. Perhaps it's not so much that you're towards the end of your life, but you're just somebody who thinks, well, God wouldn't have me. I've never shown any interest. I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know any of these stories you're talking about. What is a Jew? What an Israelite? I don't understand. I don't have religious language. I, I, I've hardly been to church in my life. I don't know how to pray. I don't know anything. That's okay. God says, come. Jesus done it all. Come to me. Come to me freely and I will have you. I will forgive you. It doesn't matter what kind of life you've led. The gift of eternal life is free. It's a gift of grace, to use the Bible's language. God will take anyone who will come to him. That is his character. He is generous. You don't need to bring anything. Perhaps even you've been a Christian for a while and you've begun to think that God is, well, God is backing away from you or displeased with you. You feel like you're not really bringing anything to the table. Well, relax. The good news is you don't need to. It is grace that welcomes us in and grace that keeps us in. God is generous. Do you think of God in that way? As someone who wants to give eternal life, who wants to give the kingdom, to as many people as possible. He's not stingy like a kind of Scrooge, trying to hold it back until only the best can get in. it's not a kind of spiritual Alan Sugar where you have to fight your way to the top and only if you are the best when you hear that news you're hired everyone else fired no come he says play the merchant of Venice Um, I don't normally do illustrations from Shakespeare but I just happened to cross this one there's a character called Portia. And she's trying to persuade someone to be, to be kind and merciful. And she says, the quality of mercy is not strained. The quality of mercy is not strained. You kind of do your coffee in the morning and you, you pour it through the filter and all the kind of gunk gets pulled behind and just the pure stuff gets through. Mercy's not like that, Portia says. It rains down from heaven. God isn't stingy with his grace. It doesn't matter what you've done, whether 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago, He will always have you. God is incredibly generous. So that's the first reality, God's generosity. The second reality is our grumbling. How do these people respond? Verse 11. On receiving the denarius, these are the people who've worked all day. They grumble at the master of the house. Why? Well, we've been treated unfairly, they say. We slaved away all day. We did the hard work. We were out in the boiling sun. We're the one who brought in the most grapes. And yet you just pay us the same as these guys who arrived late. We're the true workers, they say. Now, notice that, that God does describe those who come to him as labourers, workers. Okay, when you become part of the kingdom of God, we are employed, in a sense, to work for him. Okay, the Christian life does involve effort. We work for him. We try and proclaim the gospel to the nations. We, we serve him. Uh, yesterday, because I was worried I was going to forget, uh, I, brought, uh, I gave um, a book to Becky for Caleb. Um, you know, he's been baptised. Here's a little book. explaining the gospel book. We could, instead of giving him a book or a little Bible, we could have given him a hammer okay, or a trowel. Okay, welcome to the vineyard. You're going to be a labourer. You could have sent him home with a hammer. That would have been a, a good picture too. But how do we view our service for God? Very often we grumble, don't we? Uh, We think we are treated unfairly. Uh, These guys probably have worked hard. They've done 12 hours. It's a hot climate. It probably was hard work. And yet, have they got any right to grumble? After all, they're getting what they were promised. They agreed at the beginning of the day yeah, this is fine. One denarius, it's a fair wage they're greed, they've not been robbed. They're getting exactly what they promised. God always gives what he promises. So what makes them cross? What makes them cross is seeing someone else, in their view, receiving even greater generosity. It's envy. Imagine if Jesus told the parable the other way around, uh, and at the end of the day, the the former began began by paying the people who started work first so he came to them and he said thank you for your 12 hours labor here's the denarius that i promised you how would the parable end what if they get paid first it would end with them saying thank you very much going home perfectly happy back to the wife and kids good news i was employed for the day here's the denarius we can eat again okay kids shoes we're all fine they'd be perfectly happy But it's because the payment goes the other way around, because they see that in their view, God or the the, the landowner is being more generous to someone else. They become bitter and grumbly. It's the comparison that gets us. I deserve better than this. God is is a theme to to so much of our hearts. I deserve more than you're giving me. More wealth, more happiness. Whatever it might be. And they, God, they deserve less. Have you not seen how much I've done for you? How faithful a Christian I've been. How holy I've stayed. How hard I've worked for you. And yet they seem, they, who only became a Christian last week, they who frankly are not a very good Christian, they seem to be blessed. Their career is going well. They're married happily. They're wealthy. Their house is lovely. It is not... Fair. We are chronic grumblers. And, and, and the sting comes in verse 15. I think this is the, the key, really, to the whole parable. The, the issue is, is not about how God acts, but how we look at things. If, you, if you've got one of the church Bibles... Uh, and look at verse 15 it'll say this am i not allowed to do what i choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity and there's a little footnote number four and it gives you the really literal translation so very literally you translate instead of saying um can i not do what i choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity that second sentence you could translate is your eye bad because i am good is your eye evil Because I am good. What's the problem? The problem actually isn't with God and his behaviour. It's with our eye. Jesus says, is your eye evil towards me? There are two ways to look at the world. Two ways to see the world. Either with evil eyes or with gracious glasses evil eyes or gracious glasses. But we always think we deserve more. And we tell ourselves it's just because we want things to be fair. I'm just committed to fairness. That same Shakespeare play, there's a, uh, The Merchant of Venice, there's, a, there's a, a, um, various people trying to woo this wealthy young woman. And her dad knows they're all scoundrels, so he sets a kind of test for them. And he puts out three caskets, three pots, one's gold, one's silver, and one's lead. And if you read stories, you know you've got to go for the lead one, don't you? It's never the gold or the silver. But anyway, they're all idiots. Uh, And they go for the gold and then the silver. And the silver one says on it, um, whoever chooses this casket shall get as much as he deserves. And the Prince of Aragon thinks, well, I deserve plenty. So I'll choose the silver casket. That must be the right option. We're all like him, aren't we? Deep down, we think we deserve better than we've got... Perhaps we look at our circumstances. It's not fair that I didn't get the promotion. It's not fair that I am single. It's not fair that I don't live in as nice a house as he does. Or we look at our service. We're Christians. We look around and say, look, I work so hard at church. It's always me doing coffee. It's always me putting the chairs out. It's always me on the rotors. It's always me that turns out at the prayer meeting. And, and they don't. It's not our circumstances or our service, it's a community. I've been at church longer than them. Why are they on the inside so quickly? They're newcomers. They need to do their time before they can come in. I mean, it's great they've joined our church. Uh, It'd be great if they start giving, but don't start getting in my friendship group. Don't start interrupting my community group. I do wonder, actually, as a church, we're quite a new church, we're four years old. Um, So about half our church life has been COVID, therefore. And God has been kind. We've slowly grown. Even over COVID, we've slowly grown and grown and grown. And we need to be aware that whereas we started as about 18 of us or something, that's now, whatever, three, four times as much. We need to be aware, particularly those of us who've been here since the beginning, that everything constantly needs to change and grow. We need to welcome everybody in, not have originals and newcomers. And the sign that we've got this evil eye... Well, the sign is grumbling. And, and the, the, the key thing is that ultimately it's an evil eye towards God. Okay, it's not just a little bit of grumbling, a little bit of bitterness. It is actually an evil eye towards God. We look at God and see him as evil. And that's clear in verse 15. Um, do you, uh, is your eye bad because I am good? Okay, Jesus says it explicitly. And it just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If we're the kind of people who grumble and complain, what's going on? We're basically saying, look, in a fair world, in a world that was run properly, I would be in a better position than this. Wealthier, happier, richer, healthier, whatever it might be. In a fair and just world, if if only someone good was running this world, competent. In other words, if I was running the world, not you, God things would be a lot more just, a lot more fair. Now, I know we never say that. Of course we don't. But it is the outworking of how we think. Uh, even little things give this away. So um, earlier this week, uh, I had a day off, and I, I was the plan was that, that my wife and I were going to go for coffee. Okay, um, Someone very kindly agreed to take all our kids, which is a mammoth thing. Uh, and we were going to go for coffee. Just for a little bit, go for coffee, and I was going to get a reader book. Okay? Not a Christian book, just a... It's just a story about this guy sailing in the Baltic seas, okay? But brilliant, some time ia. It's going to be great, much as so I love my kids. And then various things happened. A friend phoned from, um, from Australia, so I thought, i oh, I better answer it. Because, um, you know, he's in Australia, he's just moved out there. And that pushed the time scale back. And then we had to go get some, uh, you know, something from a supermarket. And it all got knocked round, knocked around. And eventually, just totally ran out of time. Okay, couldn't do it. What am I thinking? What am I thinking is, I only get one day off a week. Some people get two. I only get one. I wasn't trying to take the whole day for myself. I just wanted to go and have a coffee and read a little book. Did, did I get angry and shout at people? No. Because I know to tidy that up. But what happened was not outer anger. What do you think you're doing, God? Nor was it shouting at my friend in Australia or you know the person in the supermarket who shut the wrong bit and all the rest of it. Because I'm a minister, so I shouldn't be caught being angry. What happens is just going to self pity. It's so unfair. Just want a coffee and read a book just for an hour. It's internalised anger against God. It's the same thing. It's saying to God, No, you have got this wrong. It's having an evil eye at God. So I can pretend it's just a little sin, I was just a little bit of grumbling, a little bit of self pity. But actually, if I could really see it properly, it is an assault on God. You have run this world wrongly, God. You should stop my friend calling me about time in the morning. You should sort the supermarkets out so they've got chickens in the right aisle at the right time. These little things wind us up, don't they? Perhaps it's the children. Okay, you just get so annoyed with the kids because they're disturbing your peace. And again, we tell ourselves it's reasonable. We're just being fair and just. But actually, it's just that we're being disturbed. You can either look with this evil eye at God or you can put on glasses of grace, gracious glasses, if you like. I normally wear, well, I wear contact lens or glasses. I should have put my glasses on this morning. would have been a better illustration. But, but, but glasses shape how you see the world. Sometimes you get you know, these cool sunglasses, don't you? You can put on kind of yellow sunglasses and everything looks yellow or red and everything looks red. This par- parable is teaching us to put on glasses that see the world through the eyes of grace. Everything is a gift, Jesus is saying to us. Everything. You don't deserve anything. So everything you have is a gift. And when you see everything as a gift, then actually you can't grumble or, or be bitter anymore. You won't even want to. The, 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 these people who got paid you know, for, for a day's work they should have just been grateful. That's fantastic. I'm not unemployed. I'm not starving. I can put a roof over my head. I can feed and clothe the kids. And they would have been, had they not seen that someone else seemingly got a better deal. The wonder, in other words, it should never be for us that we don't have more, but rather that we do have anything. It's a totally different way to see the world. Uh, a week or so ago, I was off doing some teaching elsewhere for some, some trainee ministers and youth workers and things. And so we would look at the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus, you might know, is this strange Old Testament book that has all sorts of strange, to our mind, rules. Um, and one of the rules there is if you get leprosy, you can't come into the, the tabernacle. Okay? So if you had a, a skin disease, you weren't able to come into the kind of, essentially, church of the Old Testament. And someone asked the question, well, that's just so unfair. Why would God do that? These lepers had to live outside the camp. They weren't allowed to stay with their families. They had to go and live on their own. They had to keep their hair sort of unkempt. They had to wear a kind of face covering. They had to tear their clothes. They couldn't draw near other people. That's so unfair. Why would God do that? And various people... You know, put forward various different answers, whether it's sort of health and safety. You know, if they come near, they're going to affect other people. So it's just kind of necessity. And that may be kind of true. But ultimately, as the sort of discussion went on, I think we came to a conclusion that actually we were looking at it the wrong way around. So you see, we, we think it was unfair for this person who had this skin disease to be kept away from the tabernacle. What's the sort of hidden assumption? The hidden assumption is that we should all be allowed into God's presence. But actually, when you look at it the other way around, what's amazing is not that these people with skin diseases were kept out, but that anyone was allowed in. We assume, we assume that we're good people who have the right to come to God, that he ought to bless us if he's gonna be fair. But actually, we're not, our sin is enough. Our sin is enough that God should throw us away eternally. Time and again, Jesus warns about hell, about eternal punishment. That is what you get if you want fairness, Jesus says. If you want justice, it's hell. But thank God he doesn't treat us with fairness in that sense. That means we can never complain against God. He may actually bless your friend more than you. He may bless your lazy, good-for-nothing friend more than you. He may bless your unholy, uncommitted, half-hearted Christian friend more than you. And that will not be unfair. It'll be gracious. He's not obliged to treat everyone in exactly the same way. He will never be unjust. If someone lives a perfect life, God will treat them as if they lived a perfect life. but none of us do. And I wonder if this is the kind of thing we know spiritually, but we haven't actually driven down into our lives. Uh, you might say, well, look, I, you know, I know theologically, biblically, I don't deserve salvation, that it's a gift, that we're saved by grace. But still we think in, in terms of how my life is arranged day to day, I deserve better. Let's go back to that meal. Okay, go back to the meal where you split the bill and, and you're fuming about it. What if in those circumstances, again, small as it may be, what if in those circumstances, instead of seething that you're 40 quid down, you thought, huh, isn't it amazing God has fed me again? Isn't it amazing I'll be able to sit with some friends? Uh, Isn't it wonderful that I've eaten? Rather than I should be 40 quid better off now. We think we'd be happy if our circumstances just changed. But it's not about circumstances, the parable tells us. It's about your eye. Do you have an evil eye or do you see that everything is a gift? In fact, all your abilities are a gift, aren't they? Your intelligence is a gift. Uh, Your career is a gift. Your relationships are a gift. Your family are a gift. What do you have, Paul says, that that was not given? Everything you have was given by God, not just salvation, everything. So you can never complain. Are you tempted towards self-pity? Just outright anger. Why are my family doing this? Why are my colleagues doing this? Why are my brothers and sisters doing this? Are you tempted towards jealousy? You need to to pull out the evil eye. Stop thinking we deserve better. And actually see that God has blessed us immeasurably. And see how this parable begins and ends. Verse 16, the last will be first and the first will be last. What was the very last thing Jesus said before he told the parable, verse 30 of chapter 19? Many who are first will be last and the last will be first. We think we ought to be first. And don't realise that in reality, if God treated us justly, we'd be last. And the incredible news of the gospel is that the only one who did deserve to be first, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he became man, who came down to earth, who deserved to be treated as a great king, a hero, a hero, as he came to earth, he should have arrived on, on sort of in a chariot as a fully grown adult, surrounded by angels, blowing trumpets, strumming hearts, announcing his glory. It should have been the case that we fell down and said, thank you. Thank you for our life. Thank you for this world. Thank you for creating us. And instead, he came as a baby, born to a mom in what looked like dodgy circumstances. Nowhere to sleep. Put in a manger, a feeding trough. Uh, no home. Uh, as he grew up, he wasn't treated with honor and respect. More or less, everybody attacked and opposed him. He had no wealth, no power, no respect, few, few to serve him. Uh, he was treated with injustice, wasn't he? Think of the, the trial. Was he guilty of what they accused him of? No, of course not. He was innocent. Was he treated fairly? Did God treat his own son fairly? No. No, out of love for you, he crucified him in order that you who should be last might become first in the kingdom of God. The one who actually was first became last, scorned, mocked, stripped naked, whipped, nailed to a cross with your sin on his shoulder. In order that he might therefore be gracious to you and give you everything for free. Thank God the gospel is not fair. It's gracious and generous. So how are you going to look at the world? Through an evil eye? Or come to Jesus? And he will take all of you. Come to Jesus. And he says, trust me. Trust me. I've given my life for you. I am gracious. I am kind. There is no crumbling in the kingdom but rather glory, glory, glory to come. And until then, well, shrug your shoulders and see everything is a gift. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, are sorry for how quick we are to see ourselves as wronged. Uh, We're sorry for how quick we are to grumble. Uh, We're sorry for how self-righteous we are, how certain we are that things ought to be better for us. Uh, forgive us when that wells up in anger at other people, at self-pity, at jealousy, at grumbling. Forgive us most of all when it wells up in, in barely concealed anger towards you. Uh, you are incredibly generous to us. And we pray you'd open our eyes to see that everything is a gift, every breath is a gift. As we breathe in, uh, that is a gift from you. As we breathe out, we're dependent on you in order to receive the gift of, of the, the very next air. Might we see the world graciously. And might we therefore love our Saviour all the more. Bless us we pray in his name, amen.